I'm Robin. And I'm Wayne. We're investors at VMG Partners, and we help build iconic consumer brands. Every day, some of the world's most fascinating founders share their stories with us before they've made it. Their highs and lows. Mistakes and triumphs. But always extraordinary results. And now we're sharing these stories with you. This is Unfinished Biz. Oh, I'm walking around anyway, so why don't I start selling candy while I'm walking around? So, like, I would basically flyer the neighborhood, but at the same time, I would be also selling seeds candy. Then it became like, okay, well, then I could sell, like, basketball tickets, and then I could sell, like, like, what could I sell? Being a salesperson was, like, one of the earliest things I learned how to do. On this episode of Unfinished Biz, we'll chat with Moj Madara, co-founder and CEO of one of the biggest beauty conventions in the world, BeautyCon. The four-year-old startup is a blend of commerce, entertainment, and social media, and serves beauty fans through festivals and the BeautyCon digital platform. But Moj, well, she quite literally inherited the business gene, and she has big plans for the next intersection of beauty and pop culture. Because if you think about like two of the biggest movements within our past 30 years, you would say it's hip hop and you would say it's like electronic music. And those two things have like essentially changed how you think, how you dress, where you eat, where you buy, where you go, like everything. To me, like this digital content revolution from a beauty perspective was going to do the exact same thing. Find out how Moe's grew BeautyCon into an industry behemoth, how she overcame some personal and cultural challenges, learned how to be your true self, and what BeautyCon's next vertical looks like. Unfinished Biz starts now. So Rob, you know, we've had a great opportunity to speak to a number of different founders and a topic that often comes up is just how the entrepreneurial journey started very early for them. And uh-huh. most of the time it's something like a lemonade stand or something like that. But for Moj, you know, she was really light years ahead of, of these other entrepreneurs sure. in that regard. And not only what she sold, but how many different things that she was selling out there and things that she would try and, mm-hmm. and often have a tremendous amount of success. And I think a lot of that really brewed around the dinner table and conversations that she would have with their parents. But but speaking of her parents, it didn't escape having a number of personal challenges that, that she had growing up. Yeah, it's been a very long journey, one that's been incredibly entrepreneurial, but it's culminated in BeautyCon. And for Moj, it, it means so much more than just being a cosmetics company. It's all about health, it's about wellness, and then stitching together pop culture. So at this point, it really is much more of a cultural movement. It's how it's all really come together. For sure. We recently caught up with Moj at BeautyCon's headquarters in Hollywood. My parents are both entrepreneurs. They're both immigrants. They both came to this country in the 60s. um, And they have always been very passionate about that being the one golden opportunity that this country provides. Um more than almost any other value system that they have, like what they believe is exciting about this country is the idea of capitalism. Mm -hmm. So very early on, there was like always, I felt like I grew up, like I feel like I got a business degree just growing up with my family because we don't really talk about feelings or like how anyone's like, like, like there was just never discussion of like, how did you feel when like grandma left? Like it was like, what did you think about that house for sale across the street? (laughs) Like, do you think that's a good investment? You know, I I think it could be converted into an income property. And I think if you added like unit on top that there's a weight, like it was always like something scrappy. Totally. Like, or my dad would be like, you know, someone has the patent to this shopping cart and uh, the guy who made this patent to this shopping cart, like, cause he's an engineer and got it. So they both were just like, um, very interested in the economics of life. So, like, anytime you would buy something, like, like if I was like, I want a two-liter thing of Coke, they'd be like, you know, Coke is the same thing as, like, soda, but it just has, like, the packaging on it. Right. And if we took the two things and, like, poured it in a cup and blindfolded you, you don't even know the difference. Like, the concept of that, like, right. was just, like, they were always about right. breaking down, like, That's the right. economics of everything. Like, it's like, like triple-ply toilet paper, single-ply. Like, right. <laughs> like, they would just be like, you know, you could just take toilet paper and, like, fold or it fold twice. It. Right, exactly. And, like, you don't, you know, you could, just you, buy, you could buy double the toilet paper and have double-ply but not pay double-ply prices, which right. is triple the price of the single, you know? Yeah, totally. Like, so they were just, like, about the... Wherever there's arbitrage all about arbitrage yes. always even when you were this has started super early age 
forever. Oh, like wow. we don't. I'm telling you, even today, like at the dinner table, like no one talks about like it's some politics of like the global economy in the world, which always comes down to arbitrage of economy. Because like I think at the end of the day, like when you come from a country that was dominated by a regime change, mm-hmm. that regime change happened over financial disparagement right. between classes. Right. And so I think when you have immigrants that come from countries that left their country over like a disparagement and economy and that those people now come to this country and they're hypersensitive to that within this economy. Right. So they pay attention to all the details where like probably a normal person who's born here would never think about like, you know, who's getting the contract to make the roads or like, like anything. Right. But like, I don't think there's very, very much that goes on in their lives that they're not, analyzing like how it came to be so then they would just talk to their kids about it right so like their ki- all three of their kids are like very like everyone knew how to balance a checkbook right <laughs> everyone knew what like an LLC versus a C corp oh, versus wow. oh that's crazy like my dad would just be like you know the tax efficiencies of like an S corp because they would just like explain it to you and you're like oh okay like so I'm gonna gonna have to pay social security and Medicare on anything under, you know, what is it, like 65 right. a month, you know, yeah. what, $1,000. So did you start your first LLC when you were six? No. <laughs> <laughs> but my dad took me to work, yeah. you know, and so yeah. I always went to work with my dad. And on the weekends, I was like that kid that was like putting up the real estate signs for my mom. Mm-hmm. And she was, I think the only two times I've seen my mom ever cry was once when she lost a deal that she was working on for like seven months which was like her first big real estate deal and two when my grandma died oh wow so like you know i will never forget she like slammed the phone she like started crying it was like a long like cord phone she was just (laughs) so frustrated um but like on the weekends i would like hand out flyers for her real estate business so like if she had a listing she would just like drop me off in the neighborhood Like, where that listing was have and, at it. and yeah. I would just basically walk around. <laughs> and so then at some point I became, I was like, Oh, you know, don't what come be- home and all the flyers are gone. No, it became, Oh, I'm walking around anyway. So why don't I start selling candy while I'm walking around? Oh, wow. So then I basically was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, she would be like, look, if you help me sell this house, I'll give you some money. Right. right. So like I would basically flyer the neighborhood, but at the same time I would be also selling C's candy. Right. Nice. Right. So then like, then it became like, okay, well then I can sell like basketball tickets and then I could sell like, like what could I sell? Right. So basically I would just like being a salesperson was like yeah. one of the earliest things I learned how to do. How old were you when you were doing this? I mean, like, and, and where 13, was this? Orange County, okay. like Irvine. Yeah, you know, yeah. I was we. I was born in Kentucky, yep. Lexington, raised in Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, you know, my dad started. My dad's a chemical engineer. On the weekends, he started a chip company called Chutney Chips. Oh, really? <laughs> nice. <laughs> where, I, I, wow. Where and it's like pre Trader Joe's. Right. So then, yeah. like, his best friend was an Indian dude, and they decided what would be really cool is to like take you know like I guess chutney paste yeah. Yeah. and then make it like a like a almost like a chutney cheeto yeah. yeah so like he bought like one of those c- cement cylinder things oh, wow. for he, chips like a mixer he like a deep. mixer yeah he rented an office space yeah and then like he, my uncle rented an office space next to him and he was selling like um memory right maybe right. about 115 250 yeah. 220 right so like these two had like this operation <laughs> But that's it was like just like that's one just side chutney chips. That's what I mean. I'm just sticks. saying that's yeah. just how it was. Yeah. Like everyone was that's just incredible. like if you yeah. weren't hustling and if you weren't trying to like move your life forward on some level, like you're just not even like you're just you're not I don't even know, you're asleep. Wasting like they just they'd just be like, You're sleeping right now. Like so you at, need to wake up. At any point in time, did you ever consider taking on more of a middle of the fairway kind of your 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 typical desk office Corporate job. Gig. Yeah. No. Never. Never. So my I think the one sort of boomerang in my my childhood upbringing was that I was gay and mm-hmm. my parents knew it and they were not cool with it. Mm-hmm. So their strategy on that was to they they believe that like my school system was somehow doing this to me. Okay. So they pulled me out of school. Oh and really? They, <laughs> wow, okay. They're like we're going to homeschool you. Like you're going to go yeah. to homeschool. I'm a super extroverted person. Right. I'm a very social person. So like that was pretty much like torture for me. And what, um, what age was what this? Age, yeah. I was um sophomore in high school. Okay. okay. 
terrible, yeah. right? So you're just like, this is the worst. Right. You know, you're like 15, 16 years old. They're being very strict. Right. They're TV, no phone, no going out, no talk. They just, I think they believe like almost like if you had a child that had like a disease and they're like trying to, um, Figure like quarantine, out, quarantine, quarantine yeah. So that like you could, there's no outside be, element, like right? you right. could be sort of like resolved of this disease. They were sort of trying to do that, which you know, given where they come from and who they are, they that's the best they could do. Mm-hmm. Um, like there wasn't, you know, I don't know, there wasn't a lot of education. There wasn't, you know, this is like before Ellen was even on TV. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, they were they didn't have a lot of proof points that like you could live. Um, a healthy, happy lifestyle. Right. Um, in their minds, they're like, this is a terrible thing. Our kid has like gotten this disease and like, we don't know what to do about it. Um, so that sort of forced me out of their purview at a very early age. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I didn't end up completing college. I ended up moving to Los Angeles when I was, uh, 20. Um, I ended up, uh, moving up here to go work for, uh, this guy named Perry Farrell who had started a festival called Lollapalooza mm-hmm. um, yeah. because in my head I was like okay this guy's run this thing into the ground um, he needs someone to take it over and that person should be me how did you guys get connected oh I went to a concert naturally and just followed him home <laughs> you're like that's the guy so no I'm-, I'm not kidding I followed him home and then I followed him to his studio and then I started to conveniently show up outside the studio like like literally they would <laughs> the studio is on Venice right in Abbot Kinney right okay. it's on Abbot Kinney uh-huh and literally there was like a coffee shop and a pizza shop and a bagel shop right there. So I just decided to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner at those places. This is hilarious. So this person, <laughs> I'll bet you he was like, this person's either stalking me or no, a spy. His <laughs> entire studio staff, you know how offices are, yeah. right? They yeah. all go out. They all have lunch. So I just became friends with the staff and the team. That's like, awesome. So like, started infiltrating. Infiltrating. So like literally I would just be like, oh, what are you guys up to? Like I know what they're up to. This is like yeah. the film crew. This yeah. one's like the engineer. <laughs> this this one's like, like So like they would all be like, oh, cool. I'd be like, oh, I was also at that show too. (laughs) They're like, that's awesome. Like, you should come by the studio. And I'd be like, great. I'd love to. When? Now? Like, (laughs) so then um, I still have the VHS gift they gave me that was like, dear Moj, like, thanks for being such a Janes fan. Um, You know, like, come by the studio. And it was like written in silver marker on this like black tape, you know? But like that tape is literally how I met like, the head of contemporary music for William Morris, the head of, like, I met so many people. I met the owners of Airstream. I met the founders of Quicksilver. Like, I just met a lot of people through them, Mm -hmm. which I just sort of spun that into, I want to work in the music industry, but I don't want to be in a label, but I want to be the person that puts together brands and talent. I don't know how I knew new, but, like, I knew that there was, like, a world in where talent was really more than artistry they were publishers music videos were like a place where like product placement could start to happen and brands in general seem to be somewhat um out of the loop so someone had to like decipher culture to them so through that i became agency of record for quicksilver which like at the time is so weird because i'm not a surfer um (laughs) and but it was really great because I met some amazing, brilliant people who are, you know, went on to become, you know, the early, early executive team of Facebook mm-hmm. and senior, you know, corporate executives at Motorola and Lacoste and Levi's. And so I met like my, I met a huge network of people through that relationship, um, which then propelled me forward to starting a bigger agency that did that for a lot of brands. So I did that for, Zune and Apple and Microsoft and Lacoste and Levi's and and this was was this your agency that mm-hmm. you started start okay. yeah it grew to be like a you know hundred person company mm-hmm. with thirty plus million dollars in revenue and what uh, year what year was this by the way just so for start, context we, that company was sold in at the end of two thousand ten okay. okay yeah um, and so then I took a year off and. I mean, I started, I decided I had like a one year non-compete. So I was like, I'm going to do like a real estate business and <laughs> back to the flyer. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I, you're like, I got this. Um, I started a little pr- development company called native homes, LA. And I bought like, um, one, two, three. I think about like nine houses in like echo park and silver Lake mm-hmm. cash. Mm-hmm. Literally. I found a house that had been abandoned for 25 years. 
homeless people were living at it. It was boarded up, like no power, no right. nothing. The owner was like insane in an insane asylum. He, his daughter had shipped him off to like somewhere far away. Somehow, like I can't even through the neighbors, neighbors, neighbors. I got this guy's phone. <laughs> so good. I have pictures of this house to prove it. But I essentially convinced this guy to let me buy his house from him for ten percent of what it was worth, and that I would pay him on the balance when I actually fixed it and sold it. Oh wow! Oh, so you- why with no money down? That's even better. That's that's a pretty incredible and it was deal. Just like a lot of deals, like and, that. and also the timing was good. Yeah, it was great. It's it 2010. Was t- yeah, the yeah. market had just like tanked, right. Yeah. right? So I bought it for like three, put in a hundred, sold it for like seven or eight. It was awesome. How are you finding these places? It's same, just super entrepreneurial. Drive around, yeah, and just like look at stuff. And, drive and, around, yeah, like wow. just drive around the neighborhood you want to be in. So I would just, I mean, that's how I found the house I'm in now. Like I just, how long did you do that for a year? And then I was like, God, contractors are the worst. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they're terrible. They're just like that industry really begs for an update. Um, what'd you do next? Came back to media and, and then essentially started to become sort of somewhat consumed with content creators and influencers. Um, the concept of like an influencer as a publisher, um, and a content creator as a publisher that could then drive upper funnel and lower funnel customer acquisition for brands became like the, the time in history and where commerce and content was going to merge into one seems like it's, it's not yet happened, but it seems like it was going to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's where I've been focusing my energy for the past five, six years is like this convergence of commerce and content and how it builds like the next generation of brands. At any point, did you think that you might just stick with the investing side and not sort of go back into <clears throat> operating? Mm, I don't think I'm there yet. Okay. I'd love to just be, I think like I look forward to just doing that. Mm-hmm. Like I think that'll be like the last part of my career, Got like it. where I just become full-time investor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the best investors are operators. Mm -hmm. And if I want to really be an investor for companies that are in the digital era of direct to consumer with commerce and content, this is like the best way to really be like hands on. Right. And a real value add to someone down the line. Right. Yeah. So this is 2011 ish then. Um, I did the consulting for like 11, 12 and then at 13, I knew I wanted to work with content creators and publishers. I started, I did like a Ted talk about, um, content creators building the next gen of like sort of uh, like would they be bigger than Oprah would they be bigger than like the next generation of like large personality driven brands um, that TED talk got picked up from Wired Magazine that sort of drove me into like the the realm of like dealing with a lot of folks at YouTube mm-hmm. who wanted to use my talks as like a sales tool for their internal teams because they at that time had not figured out and still haven't figured out how to monetize their business beyond like a Mm pre-roll business. Right. But like what there is, is like the super sticky sentiment that like everyone calls native integration, but like that hasn't been, there's not an efficiency around that on the platforms yet. Right. Like it's still a manual, like I think of an idea you called, like there's still like this high touch relationship there. And the only reason you would ever want to do that is if you were building IP, mm-hmm. you know, like if you were able to build a business and where similar to like a skinny girl margarita, right? Some like very unknown celebrity is now building a hundred million dollar year margarita business. Um, that's where it becomes very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there I'd built out a business plan to raise money for a studio um, that would essentially represent talent and build businesses with that talent. Mm-hmm. So think of it like modern day rock nation right. that was really focused on IP development around digital talent. Um, and through that, ex- through that exercise met the founder of Beautycon. Mm-hmm. So when you were thinking about sort of digital, digital talent, were you, you weren't, were you focusing on celebrities at all? Or are these more no. sort of digital, digitally native people? Digitally who are, native talent, yeah. people yeah. who were truly digitally native, you know, this person did not have a star on the Hollywood walk of fame. They were right. never going to, mm-hmm. um, right. Kind of, kind of self-created. Absolutely. And I think those are the most powerful creators you can connect with in this modern era. I just started consuming content. Mm-hmm. Like I probably spent half of my day consuming and watching videos 
Who's so similar to your housing. You, you said, you know, you just drove around. So you, like you, you figuratively like, drove I'm like, around. Literally, I'm like, oh, like Michelle Fun. Like, yeah. who's that? Oh, my God. She's huge. Like, what's... Wait, she's... Who's the other talent? Who's Candy Johnson? Right. Who's Bethany Moda? Who's Dulce Candy? Like, right? Like, that whole thing. Right. I was just like, holy cow. Like, between all of these guys, they've got, like, 10 million followers. For sure. They're getting, like, 2 billion video views a month. For sure. Like... Like it was because at the same time it was like Condé Nast is laying off half its like right. hearst totally. like all these things were happening and I was like holy cow like it's happening like the convergence of like this phone that's not a phone anymore that's like you barely use it as a phone like you don't even do you even call someone every day <laughs> you don't you literally like I can't find where to park right that's right <laughs> yeah. it's like, I'll look it up yeah. like it's not even like a phone it's like barely your phone it's basically everything else. And so, so recognizing this, how, how did, what did you, so what did you, what was the next step from that? So you, obviously you, you were able to source great online influencers, what, but how, what was the idea and how they had a B2B conference. It was really meant to be business to business. And we basically decided to approach them and see if they'd be willing to uh, pivot it from a B2B to a B2C. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the, 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 the quant, the test was, is there an audience for young women who are looking for a community to appreciate themselves and celebrate beauty? And if you were to create it consumer facing, like, would they actually come? And then from there, the thesis has been, can you drive that community to become a digital community? And can that digital community now be driven towards a commerce business? Right. Yeah. But before you get into that, well, so how did it work at the time from a B2B basis? And, they, what, and what year was this again? She had started the business, I think, in 2012. Okay. I came on in 2014. Okay. Um, so she was doing it, like, at the YouTube space. It was maybe, like, 65, 75, 80, I don't know, maybe, like, 100 people. Yeah. Um, I was like, what if we make it consumer-facing and move it to a ginormous studio <laughs> and make it, like, pop-up right. brands, you know, like a retail experience? Right. Like, how do we make this a retail experience, you know? Um, and we had like 12,000 people show up. That was the first one. Yeah, it was free. So like I did not expect that. So how did you – well, actually, <laughs> let me take a step back. So as you were doing all this, obviously you've always been sort of – in order to learn about a category, you get in deep. Yeah. Is there any – were you already a fan of beauty? Were you no. already – yeah, was did this no. speak to you before? Or no? no. Okay. I mean like not at all. <laughs> but It started actually with the, infl- the – just seeing the convergence of – or they, the growth of the, – The thing that the, made me like over the top passionate about it is the, the audience demographic. Right. Ethnic, diverse, Asian, black, Middle Eastern, hijab, uh, full body, short body, tall body, mm-hmm. like – not, you know, like no one was like, I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. Like, like, like nothing. I love Gwyneth Paltrow, but I'm right. just saying like they weren't, <laughs> yeah. these were like non cover of Vanity Fair type people. Right. So I was like, oh my God, like, is there going to be like a revolution around like, what is beauty? Right. And are these guys going to like force a conversation in society that like, cause if you think about like two of the biggest movements within our past 30 years, you would say it's hip hop and you would say it's like electronic music. Mm-hmm. And those two things have like essentially changed how you think, how you dress, where you eat, where you buy, where you go, like everything. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, like this digital content revolution from a beauty perspective was going to do the exact same thing and create like the modern day entrepreneurs and successful stories. Like there will be people who are as successful as, Sean Combs and Russell Simmons and like right. Jay-Z. Like there will be multiple beauty titans right. that are in the history books as multi-serial business billionaires who basically figured out how to like reinvent the beauty industry because it hasn't happened in like a hundred years. Totally. Like Estee Lauder and L'Oreal have been like reigning this right. conversation for a hundred years mm-hmm. each. Right. So and there wasn't really an avenue before that to really it hadn't been disrupted in right. so totally. long yeah like forever um in the same way I draw a lot of parallels between that and like the shoe industry mm-hmm. like if you think I mean like right now if you're like a person that sells shoes like I don't even know what those shoes are that like guys or people wear but like are they, could they, they, are, they, they are they all birds are they all birds because that's no. 
They're not the all birds. No, that's that's and the other that's on the long tail side. Okay. If you're like a what's like a basic ass men's shoe? Basic shoe? Yeah. I don't know. Like Like a Nike? No. Not non athletic shoe. Yeah. A non athletic. Okay. Just like a basic shoe. Exactly. Like a Colhan. Perfect. Like a (laughs) Colhan, right? Like who wants that shoe? Like no one is like. I don't think many people do anymore. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like a freaking sneaker has literally replaced. Robert, are you wearing Cole Hans? No. I don't, okay. I don't. Good. Thank God. So I, that, that, that'd be bad. I mean, that, that I, I was gonna wear. I, I was gonna wear the Cole I Hans. I saw him. But I saw him starting to shoot, like cower in. Yeah. I was, af- I was afraid he was wearing Cole Hans. No. They've just been replaced. Yeah. The dress shoe. <laughs> the dress shoe has been like tossed to the curb. No, most. It's really all sneakers are definitely. I fundamentally agree with. It's that. not even. It's streetwear now. My wife now. sometimes yeah. tells me it's otherwise. But I, I, I try not to ever wear dress shoes, yeah. right? Because it says that you're not cool, and that's and, like and li- they're not comfortable, right? That too. Yeah. But even if they were, like, you're not going to wear like Clarks. Like, there's they Ooh, are. That's another good example. I'm just saying, like, they're out. Yeah, they're just like it's. You know, I'm just saying, it a very weird thing happened where yeah. like streetwear culture then just drove like a nail into like a commodity that like is not a commodity now it's actually like a necessary specialty item indie brands now have the ability to actually speak directly to consumers and that obviously just was never your instagram channel is your publishing network yeah and that's how you reach your consumers you know yeah yeah. So, so you had your first event, and then uh, it sounded like there were a ton of uh, there's a ton of traction from a consumer perspective. Before, how, can, can how, you explain, oh, for the audience member yeah. who's just not familiar, like, can you explain what this first event entailed? Sure. And who oh, was yeah. there, and what the whole premise is of the whole thing? Um, the premise of the whole thing is literally if Sephora met Coachella, so it's like it's panels, it's meetups with content creators, um, it's brand activations, so. This past weekend in BeautyCon New York, we had over like a hundred and some odd brand activations that are all huge, massive Instagrammable moments where people are spending, you know, the entire weekend basically shopping, right. sampling, trying, uh, educating themselves. Uh, there's discussions. There's uh, are brands selling product there, or yeah. is it all just sampling? The brands, no. Think of us as it's like purchase. a gi- yeah. Okay. Think of it as like a ginormous retail pop up. Um, we also really pushed hard into health and well-being because I think health and well-being is now merging into beauty. Um, and now we have like an entire section dedicated to K-beauty, which mm-hmm. is like a huge subsect of like the beauty industry. And so we really push out these festivals to become a large retail experience. Um, <clears throat> and we want it to be integrated between entertainment and like a shopping experience for right. you. Right. Yeah. And how many of these have occurred? <laughs> I don't even know at this point. It's 15 or 16. 15. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and how many people went to the last one? So in, in New York, how many? We did about 10,000 people a day. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. And how many days does it run? Two. Yeah. Yeah. No big deal. That's amazing. It's, it's a lot. It's and so, fun. And so when you started, how many people, that yeah, first, first one, one that you were talking so 14, about? 14,000. Right <clears throat> we kept the, it was right here at Siren Studios, which has a capacity of about 1,500 people. So okay. we literally had to keep that thing open till 9 p.m. that night to basically mm-hmm. shuffle people in and out. So, I mean, it was just not... So when this was just... I'm kind of interested about the first event. Yeah. How did you get, how did you get yeah. brands to, to come and create a booth and sell product? And how did you get consumers? Telemarketer. To- telemarketer. <laughs> I literally picked up the phone and spent probably three or four days on the phone just calling all the brands I knew and saying, we're going to get 9,000 girls, a bunch of celebrity. I mean... It was just like a sales tool, right? right? Like you say what you want to do and then you say what incremental budget do you have and how fast can you deploy it? And then you negotiate what they want mm-hmm. and you just basically made a deal. Was so, there was, was there a first brand that actually said, hey, I'm doing it? Bear then, Essentials. So they, that made yeah. it easier. Okay. I'm like, Bear Essentials is on board, everybody. Yeah, there like, you go. Okay. Totally. So they became your anchor. Sure. To get everybody. Then I went to... for like Nyx. Nyx Cosmetics was. I convinced them to have an awards show. Yep. Oh no. <laughs> so so it's nuts. So, so it's each funny. one you got, you just throw out that name and then sure. And then the I herd, just kept the, the beefing. Herd I just literally kept beefing up the press release. Right. Yep. But, oh, Nyx is involved. Now Bear Essentials, now Dove, now Alme, now right. And then on the flip side, how did you get consumers to come? The talent. Yeah. Yeah. The talent went to their fan base and said, I'll be here. 
with so the, it's the influencers yeah, marketed absolutely. the event. Yep. And how did those guys get there? Was that also you calling? The talent? Yeah. We said, you know what? We've got a huge amount of consumer interest on a consumer-facing event. Right. We've got like all these people that want to meet you and yep. brands that want to do business with you. Yeah. Like we've decided to basically turn this consumer-facing and make it a festival. And did you have to pay these guys or was this more we're bringing people together? I think we provided like car service and okay. maybe like a goodie bag. Yep. Yeah. So the revenue is generated by the brands paying for like a, a booth. Now, no. now, but at the time, now, it was, was it complimentary to everybody? In, no. Involved? The brands paid from the booth point of view. Yeah. Now, today, those brands buy media packages from us that yep. include booth activations at our festivals. Got it. So, like, for example, we have a big partnership with BET that's like a 60-some-odd piece of content that's uh, specifically targeting African-American women in beauty. Um, so we did a big content uh, partnership with them, which we then also included them as a festival activation partner. So we sort of sell it now as it should be, which is like as a CPM and as a EMV or in media value, um, which is like a social metric. Yep. Um, and in a traditional media business, uh, you would sell a partner uh, overall media package and then experiential would be sort of added value. Makes sense. Yeah. Any other notable differences between the first event and the 16th? Um, I mean, definitely the quality of production and, and the consumer experience. And now we have tickets from everywhere from as low as, call it, like maybe 50, as high as 2,000. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and now we've really pushed it forward into becoming like a full-blown commerce experience. And we push and market this experience as a commerce retail pop-up. So knowing that our business is headed towards a commerce platform and a commerce business, that's really like where we push the business from a, I guess, thesis point of view. You could have gone in a lot of different directions, yep. right? There's so still, much opportunity, yep. right? So how did you think about sort of which ones to pursue, how to prioritize? Trial and all error. That. It's all trial and error. We tried a subscription box. That was really complicated. Not complicated because it's not a good business idea, but because I think um, it's a it was a polluted marketplace at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think... Whenever you're building a business that's uh, dependent on a Facebook acquisition model, mm-hmm. that's very dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so, um, really, we, we know we've built a brand and a community. And since then, we've been working towards understanding how to monetize that brand and that community online. Mm-hmm. So that's been a media brand, and that's been testing with commerce. And so we've been testing with commerce over the past few months, and now we're in a place where we're actually raising formally around that initiative mm-hmm. so that we can actually launch True Blue Commerce Business mm-hmm. uh, Marketplace and uh, white label, uh, private label products mm-hmm. to the consumer. How does that translate into the vision of the future? So right now, like you would come to BeautyCon Shop, mm-hmm. which has like a very li- limited assortment of merch and and products that we um, carry from other brands. Um, we're right in the middle of a big redesign and planning for 2018 and 2019. And so there'll be like more to share and tell about that, like at the end of this year and top of next year. Um, but I don't think it's that hard to imagine, um, the like instinctual place the company will go based on this consumer. So it's specialty items, limited edition collaborations, and then highly curated, uh, private label products. But I think like, um, less is more mm-hmm. and we think through the concept and through the th- thesis of like niche is the new mass so that's really where when I imagine Beautycon shop in its full maturity that's where we should be but in the future how, how do you look at the, for the overall revenue of the business in the future it should be a commerce yeah it should so, be a commerce so how much would be event part of the event part of the business versus <clears throat> true kind of Beautycon I think e-commerce. I think at the end of the day, you will probably see that business more like a 80, 80 commerce and product mm-hmm. and twenty festival. But like, do you see the festivals expanding into more more geographies? We and have frequency, multiple requests for Mexico City, Argentina, Brazil, China, Korea, um, Paris, Berlin. Um, we're we're negotiating. Mm-hmm. Where it makes sense. Excuse me. But you would be op- It sounds like you'd be open to if, if it's the right type if of deal. If it's the right time, if yeah. it's the right deal. You know, we went to Dubai a few years ago. That was really awesome. We did like a 20,000 person event inside the largest mall there. Um, beauty's, I mean, beauty is such a cool industry because it's so global. Right. You know, 
So it's like there's just such a massive opportunity. Right after the break, we'll be back with our guest, BeautyCon co-founder and CEO, Moj Madara. Unfinished Biz is a VMG Partners production. You can find us at unfinishedbiz.com and on Twitter at unfin underscore biz. You can also subscribe to our podcast for free on iTunes or any podcast app of your choice. We're always looking for questions and suggestions, so reach out. Okay, back to our show with BeautyCon's Moj Madara. So a couple questions that we like to ask. Um, first question is, have you had a particular bet the company moment at this point? Or have there been many? Many. Yeah? Nobody ever thought the BeautyCon Festival would become a big business. They were like, that's weird. <laughs> um, nobody really thought you could take a festival business and convert it into a media brand. There was mm-hmm. like 100 million people that told me that could not be done. I don't think anyone really knows enough about that's right. anything that's- to say like what you're talking about. Like, I'm not going to, like, I don't know. I don't know, like, what goes on. But Chemist, it's just, like, such a weird thing. Life is just, like, weird, right? Well, like, so, like, like the amount of people that, like, bet against Spotify. No, everyone, totally. Every single person I know literally was like, that will never work. It, it's impossible. They're owned entirely by the labels. They're not even making money. Right. Yeah. Like, just... They're not even from this country. They don't even. <laughs> they don't. Even, they don't even have a deal with this brand. They don't even like. Literally, like right. ongoing. Everyone freaking bet and talked shit about Spotify. Right. And like. And they I'm, changed the model. Literally, when that company went public, I felt like just being like, "Fuck everyone!" Like, I, I don't think I ever. Like, I sat in a million investor rooms. We were like, "I don't know. I just like can't get behind it." Right. You know. Um, that's the interesting thing. I think we talk to a lot of folks and, you know, when you actually work backwards, you're like, oh yeah, that's obvious. That totally makes sense. I, you know, I, I see it. I could totally see it day one, but the truth of the matter is, I mean, they had a hundred million missteps. I don't know. Every, every company that's been ever, I don't know. Like I read, I've read a bunch of books about Amazon. Like what a fucking nightmare that company, like every step of the way has been a fucking complete, (laughs) utter disaster. When people like try and tell me like what a disaster startup is, I'm like, (laughs) <laughs> you literally need to read a book because these companies are just in, they're like um they're almost like organized chaos. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, like, the, it's the nature of trying to change something. Yes. Like yeah. you're just it's like totally terribly traumatic. And right. like I read like the first fifteen years of Amazon, like from every single point of view, and it literally sounds like PTSD for every single person across the board. <laughs> they embedded in their culture a willingness to try anything. I mean and test and learn all the way through, which is I, which is, I think, that's how change occurs. Is you're willing, to, you're willing to try. You either just have the disease, or you, I just don't know. Like that's, it's just like a terrible. It's a very like if, like like I always think about like the people I have the deepest empathy for these days is like um like the founders of Blue Apron, right? Like mm-hmm. imagine like you build this awesome company, it's going public, it's got this like two billion dollar valuation, right. everyone's like in love with you. You wake up the next day and Amazon is acquiring Whole Foods and your company is literally worth 50% less. Right. Like, can you imagine? Like, who can prepare for that? That's like, right. who... That's how, that's like, how fast... Every, to your point earlier, that's though, what I mean. That's how fast everything changes, right? right? Like, well, who, like... There's no, like... You would never have known, right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you There's no one to turn around and be like, you should have known. Yeah, you should have known. Like, <laughs> well, the flip side is, like, yesterday you were a genius, and now today you're no longer a genius? Totally. That makes no sense. You're the same but person. that's just how this industry is, you know? Yeah. So it's just, like, I have so many friends have started so many companies, and most of them have failed. Mm-hmm. Like, most of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them, like, almost all of them start another company. Right. <laughs> but, um... It's because your failures help you make you better, you know? So, like, you need that failure. And I think, like, there's almost no industry that won't be touched by mm-hmm. this. And so, you know, for those, so for those of us who, like, want to be a part of, like, the changing of it, you find yourself inside an organization that's very chaotic. Mm-hmm. I mean, to build upon what you're saying, I think you're saying there's a lot of highs and there's certainly definitely lows of being oh, yeah. an entrepreneur but is yeah. there a particular high point that stands out the high part for me is always that consumer like yeah. that's where i get my high like my where i'm just like in disinterested in anything 
I'm so disinterested in anything inside this building and I'm so interested in everything inside the inbox of my Instagram account and the consumer interaction I have. I literally can't think about anything else. It's like every time I get wrapped up in something work-wise that's not like, oh, this consumer, like they're just so, it's so lucky when you have a consumer that talks to you. Mm-hmm. They can talk to you basically any time. They just like tell you everything they want. They're just like, this is what I want. This is what I need. This is like, I went to like, I probably went around to like 30 or 40 people and just gave my business card. And I was like, Hey, I'm the CEO of BeautyCon. I want to take care of your tickets next year. And I want you to write me an email on like what you want us to do better and like what you really loved and what you didn't love. Yeah. And I got like 30 emails. That's fantastic. Any, any big takeaways? They want me to have Cardi B there. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, it's odd that all 30 wanted yeah. that. That's kind of crazy. They really want Cardi B, um, and they want to make sure the messaging stays strong around the inclusivity and the diversity, and they would like to see a handful of new brands there. Um, but yeah, yeah. That's Any cool. particular low point stand out in your mind? You're a founder. You have, these are the people that you have to work for. Your office and team, your consumer, and your investors. It is like a really complicated thing to sit in the middle of that because the three of them don't agree on what is important and what they want and what. How do you navigate that? You don't. You just kind of implode in the middle. (laughs) (laughs) You don't. And you just like get up and do it again. Like that's kind of, you just get better at it. Right. So. Well, one of the things um, that's always interesting is, is you kind of think about where you are today. What's keeping you up at night? Mm, I don't really, I sleep well. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I sleep well. I think I've like really learned to be comfortable in these sea waters. I know we're in a storm and I have like my sea legs. I'm like a crab fisherman. I know that like most people want to barf when they get on this boat, but (laughs) at this point I'm like, was it always that way? No, no, definitely not. I think like for the first two years I was like, what the hell has happened to my life? (laughs) Like, this is crazy. This is nuts. Like I would like sort of, plead to my investors, plead to my, like, just plead. I would just be like, there's gotta be a way to get out of here. Like, this is crazy. Like, um, how did, how did you just become more calloused or had more context? It was just time. I think you just like depersonalize it. Yeah. I think like when you, when I sit down with every other founder I know, and they are sitting in the same exact boat, whether their company is about to go public or whether their company is just raising their seed and you say, these are my problems. And then they say, these are my problems. And you're like, holy shit, we have the same exact problems. Right. Then I was like, oh, it's, it's not me. Right. This is just like how it is. Right. That's why we wanted to start this show. For yeah. sure. We do this for you know, our jobs as well. But when we're having these conversations, it's, it's always so personal. Like I think these founders and CEOs is just like even even like a consumer complaint, right? Yeah, that drives, like, like ruins your entire That'll day. Ruin my, that will ruin my day more than anything. Right, and it's like it, it took that person what six seconds to shoot off a random email or we whatever went, it was, we, and but it can be piercing. And they're not we even went, thinking about we it. We went to vacation two years ago in Maui, and it was like a week after a festival where something had gone wrong, and a set of consumers did not have the experience they wanted and this woman i'll never forget she has this handle i'm not going to say what it is <laughs> but it's spicy something uh-huh that's her handle she ruined my headspace for a solid two weeks oh wow i mean she would just like go on my instagram like you're this and that and this blah 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 she was like tagging every investor i had she was tagging oh, every really? media wow. she was pissed Wow. She was totally mad. What was the premise? She had to wait really long time to get inside the festival. There wasn't enough water. She had she had to wait, wait, wait. Lines were out of control. And I'm like, this is my situation. I'm trying my best. Right. I did not mean to have this happen to you. I hate I hate that this happened to you. Yeah. Like, can we solve this in some other way <laughs> other than like you trying to get like NBC News to like yeah. report on how terrible we are. Like there's so many terrible people out there. Like I can't possibly be the worst person. To know. <laughs> and Did she was agree on a truce. Yeah, no, she became like a goodwill ambassador who actually, I enrolled her in becoming like a committee to help us make a series of improvements over the next few years. That's awesome. That's and smart. so like we did things with her where like we took her to the new venue. Yeah. She met the new head secure, like all the things. Yeah. And 
You turned her into an advocate. Totally. Her yeah. and like now she, I get emails from her that are just like, I just want to tell you, like I'm super proud, like blah, blah. You're just like, but I'm just saying it's like, right. you know, like someone's makeup kits broken yeah. in their subscription box and like I'll, I mean, I'm like also the person that goes on our Facebook feed and like reads every single comment <laughs> yeah. and like I'll even answer back and be yeah. like, hi. <laughs> and I want to like, you know, that's, I mean, that's, yeah. the, that's what's that's cool the about our business. Yeah, absolutely. So Rob, should I be embarrassed that I don't know who Cardi B actually is? Yeah, a little bit. Um, <laughs> now, now, I did prove that we played some music. I recognized the song. That's but I true. Just, I just had no idea that it's that it's by Cardi B. I, I will get you. Should uh, I be D- Wayne W? No. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't even have a response for this. <laughs> but we, we did have a, a great conversation, and, and you heard a little bit more about what Moj is actually bringing to BeautyCon and what an incredible mashup that is. It really really is all about entertainment it's about it's this idea of having an experiential event uh, that brings together you know a lot of things that consumers today really want and that's beauty that's you know wellness to a certain extent and that's pop culture and music and so that's really what most has been able to do do you think it represents sort of the the overall beauty renaissance i do i I think beauty is just really tapped into a lot of sort of different aspects of culture at this point um and you know i think beautycon is one of the best representations of that but you're starting to see that with other retailers too kind of picking up on it with sephora with mecca down in australia i think they really start to understand that hey this consumer they're consuming along the same vein it's not just beauty it's also a lot of other things but seeing you know hearing the story about beautycon you know Building building something iconic like BeautyCon is not easy. Being an entrepreneur is not easy. Mm-hmm. And I think this next point in the interview, we'll hear how how does Moj get her escape? Well, I have a new baby, so I like to cuddle my baby. Um, I like to uh, I like to go boxing, and I like to nice. go work out, and I like to I don't against I don't, people against with the bag. Um, both. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. I work out of this place called Unbreakable that has like an cool. amazing facility. Um, and it's for people who are just slammed in time. So they just like cram in an hour and a half of like amazing advanced work and um, recovery treatments. So that's fun. Um, what do I like to do? I don't know. I don't think anything. <laughs> I think I like to go to Maui when I can yeah. and see my friends when I can. But like most of my friends are also hustlers. So like we're always thinking about something, working on something like, I don't know. I like talking to other founders. That gives me like a great, I mean, nothing is better than like a late night session at a conference, doors closed, phones off, literally in a raw, un- uninterrupted way, getting real about like what everyone's lives are like. And, and then listening to everyone do impressions of like what's going on in their day to life. Right. That's like a fun. Do great. you get, do you get to do that often? There's, are there good venues for that? Yeah. Or there, there There's, are, I mean, there are unofficial venues, yeah. but like, yeah. sure. Like me, my friend, Sophia Morosa, my friend, Britt Morin, my friend, Melody McCluskey, um, you know, Jen Hyman from Red the runway, um, Rachel Sheckman. Um, there's just like a bunch of like female founders mm-hmm. that are just like, it's really fun to like talk about like, what's it like to go to the Goldman Sachs internet conference and be like <laughs> one of only six girls there <laughs> yeah. and try and like walk around and right. figure out how to get funding. All right, Moe, time for our signature game, our rapid fire, 60 seconds. Name the first thing that comes to your mind. Ready? Sure. The first thing you read every day is Instagram. What's your favorite movie? Godfather. Karaoke song you're most likely to belt out? Um, I will definitely always do Wanted, Dead or Alive for Bon Jovi. Your hometown is famous for? Uh, horse race. The Kentucky Derby. Okay. What's yeah. your guilty pleasure? Uh, I watch big wave surfing videos. Oh, that's cool. And I want, when I'm not doing ketosis, I will binge on cornflakes. <laughs> First car you ever drove? Toyota Camry. Runner-up name for your business that didn't make the cut? Mm, oh my god I don't even know There's thousands I can't even Do you recline on airplanes? Yes If you could drink one thing For the rest of your life Besides water What do you choose? One thing other than water? Yeah. Only one thing I need water <laughs> Good All answer right. What was your last New Year's resolution? I don't make resolutions anymore If you're stranded on an island You could only bring one thing What would it be? Uh, my wife and baby <laughs> What's the last hashtag you used? Uh, I don't need to do hashtags anymore. Beautycon New York, maybe? Mm-hmm. Where's the next place you'd like to travel? I want to go to Japan, Tokyo. Talent you didn't have, but wish you did? Um, 
I wish I was an engineer so I could work on product myself. Makes sense. Yeah. Is it? Okay. All right. Nice. So, so, we have, so we have one last question for aspiring entrepreneurs. What advice do you have for them? I mean, you really need to make sure before you say you want to be an entrepreneur because it is so much more than like the book that you're going to read and the conference that you go to. Um, I read, there's like these great Instagram posts. I think it's like natural born CEO. Do you follow that account? No, but it sounds like I should. Yeah. It's like, it's like something to the tune of like entrepreneurs, like living their life in a way that like no one would for five years. So they can (laughs) live the rest of their life the way they want to. Like, it's like something very like, basically your life's going to suck for a like five years. That's it. This whole con you just, it's like, it's just going to suck. Like, I don't even know one entrepreneur, like anyone, Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, like any single one of those people that you could go to and be like, like Elon Musk, how's the first five years of Tesla going for me? Like, how's the first five years of like, like you think he doesn't hate his life when like a rocket ship blows up in front of the entire fucking, like every single fucking person is like, oh my God, this dude just blew up another thing on SpaceX. No one can look him in the eye. Everyone's like looking around. They're like, oh God, that's kind of embarrassing. I'm just saying like, you have to be really resilient and you have to be really willing to like learn humility from your you know, failure is like a huge piece of what you're going to experience and having some humility around that is really important. So if you feel like you have that tenaciousness inside of you, but you also have the ability to absorb and learn from your mistakes, then like, it's probably a good thing for you to do. If not be an entrepreneur, work with another entrepreneur and Mm -hmm. support them. You know, I don't think everyone has to be the head. I think like being two and three and four is just as rewarding and just as exciting and, like and it could be a better fit for their personality. I think there's a lot to be gained for being a part of the team. And I think knowing that you support, you know, a vision is like, you're a huge contributor to that. And there's like absolutely nothing wrong. And I can think of a lot of people that have had amazing lives being first through 10 of a company, right? You know, yep. and being a part of something where someone generally the person who's trying to figure that big idea out, isn't have the skill set to do all of the things that they That's need right. to do. So, for sure. If you find yourself like really itching to be an entrepreneur, like maybe consider working with one. Right. That's great good advice. advice. Yeah. Hey. yeah. Thanks hey. for having me. Thank you so much. So fun. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Unfinished Biz. I'm Robin. And I'm Wayne. We'll be back in our next episode with John Coogan, co-founder and former CTO of Soylent, the meal in a bottle. Soylent promises 20% of your daily nutritional requirements in drink or powder form and has one of the most successful crowdfunding stories to date. But before Soylent even existed, John and his co-founders were just trying to pay their rent. Food is not always Thanksgiving. It's not always all your best friends and your family eating a perfectly like huge meal and it's enjoyable and it's wine and song and all this other stuff. So, you know, sometimes there are just those meals that are terrible and like, let's get rid of those. That's next time on Unfinished Biz. Unfinished Biz is a VMG Partners production. You can subscribe to our show for free in any podcast app of your choice. Send us questions, comments, and feedback on Twitter at unfin underscore biz and visit us at unfinishedbiz.com.